Welcome back to the Boldly Went podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear the brief and true adventure stories told in front of live audiences at Boldly Went shows by outdoor enthusiasts and athletes of all kinds. My name is Angel Mathis, and I am the host of the Boldly Went podcast. You know me, and today I am here with Liz Thomas, who is known as Snorkel. Hi, Snorkel. Welcome. Hi, Angel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I am so glad that we are getting to have you finally. As we were just talking right before we started recording, it's been a long time coming. I actually didn't mention that Heather Anish Anderson was the first person who really was like, you should get Snorkel on there. And I thought, yes, I should. And so I'm really glad to be here with you today. I can't wait to hear more about your business that you found, Treeline Review. And I just thought that this episode was going to be the perfect one to have you on because it's called Handmade Gear Reviews. Playing <laughs> around with this idea in this episode and drawing on Snorkel's expertise as a gear reviewer. Keep listening. So first off today, I'd like to ask you, Snorkel, more about who you are. Can you just Give us one to two sentences about how you would describe yourself to others. Yeah, I would first and foremost say that I'm a through hiker and what I really value is getting other people outdoors and feeling like a through hike, whether it's in the city or whether it's part of the PCT or just a day on trail is within grasp that through hiking is something that is an extraordinary action that can be done by ordinary people. I love that. And I could just go on about that topic alone, but I don't want to get too distracted today. So let me just go ahead and bring up the big thing, which is that you are known for holding the FKT on the Appalachian Trail. That's the fastest known time. And you got that back in 2011, I think. Is that right? That's right. And so I know that you've talked a lot about that and we don't need to rehash all of the details here, but what I really want to know now is how do you think that experience has guided you in these last nine years from then to now? Yeah, I would say going for an FKT really um, solidified in my mind that I can do things that, that other people might have not have said were possible for me. And it's, it's really kind of unlocked this way of how I think about the world. Um, like, you know, I really wanted to write a book on through hiking and there were so many obstacles and I didn't know how to make it happen. And something about the FKT made me realize that there was this whole world of things that I wanted to do that I kind of dreamed about doing that I could do. So I think that that was really kind of how the experience shaped me in the last nine years. And so since that time, you have done so many things in through hiking and beyond. What would you say are some of your proudest accomplishments? I would say one of the things that I'm most proud of is making urban through hiking a thing. So some people call me the queen of urban through hiking or the founder of urban through hiking, but Really, the idea is to take the principles of through hiking, going out for long distances with a backpack on your back and sleeping near the trail and getting up and walking on um, and bring that all within the confines of a city. So I've hiked, I think I'm up to like 14 cities now um, where I've done 
100 or 200 or 250 mile routes all within the city. And I love how I've been able to watch urban hiking, urban exploration bloom. And so many people um, really valuing walking in their own town and taking all of the lessons of being on a backpacking trip and taking it to explore their own, um, their own town. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is one of the neatest things that I've been following you along in your journey. I actually met you for the first time, maybe the only time, can't remember, <laughs> but when you were on your through hike of Bend, Oregon, when we were there for a show, and I just thought that that was such an interesting thing that you were doing, but not just because you were hiking through the town. Your urban through hikes mean so much more than that. What what are you trying to get at really with your urban through hiking project? Yeah, you know, I think it's one thing to walk through a town, but which is great. But one of the things I really want people to think about when they're urban hiking is how we build our cities to be friendly and easy for pedestrians to get around, for people who might not have access to cars or might not have access to good public transportation. And how do we build a safe walking community where people feel comfortable going for runs? Um, they're not worrying about getting hit by cars, where they feel like being outdoors um, is, is much more fun than being in a car. And I think a lot of times with urban hikes, like when I met you, I was on a Ben Brew hike, walking to all the breweries. It, the urban hikes become a way to, uh, to really spark conversation around this sort of fun idea about this much bigger idea about building walkable communities. I love it because it's part through hiking, part advocacy. And right. that it's so important, it's especially in the context of who we are at Boldly Went, to remember that we, we connect on outdoor adventures, but really what's what's beneath our experiences as outdoorists is so much more. And so I love that you're creating this and that you're, you're raising awareness about transportation, about the environment, about, it also seems like um, your project is a little bit about socioeconomics sometimes. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Uh, on these urban hikes, one of the things that I really try to do is to go to all of the parts of a town or a city or um, to neighborhoods that aren't the trendy neighborhoods, that aren't known for being pedestrian-friendly neighborhoods, because that's part of the story, too. That's part of what makes a city a city, is everyone who lives there. And so to be able to walk there to uh, tell the story of what it's like to live in that neighborhood, just, you know, for a day of walking through it, I, I hope that it gets other people thinking about how do we make an entire city into a community-friendly, walking, walkable place. Yeah, that's so, so cool. And you bring up stories and telling stories. I think that's a natural transition to my next question, which is your book. You wrote a really popular book. Tell us more about that. Yeah, um, so my book is called Long Trails, Mastering the Art of the Thru-Hike. And it's a book that goes from that very first moment where you're like, hmm, you know what? I just learned what the Pacific Crest Trail is or the Appalachian Trail is, and I kind of been interested in hiking it. Uh, so going from that dream to like the nuts and bolts of like, what decisions do I have to make? Who do I need to talk to? How much money do I need to save? How do I take time off? All the way to the very like questions you would expect to ask, like what gear do I need? What do I eat on trail? And some of the like nitty gritty of like, what's it like day in, day out to be on trail? So 
I really wanted to capture this whole experience of, of making plans and making decisions on through hiking. And that's what that book is all about. And that is reminding me that you just published a really good article on Treeline Review about how to prepare for the PCT. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, that is right. And so that, let's dive into this whole project of the Treeline Review now. So give us the overarching premise of what this is. So Treeline Review is built on multiple premises. The first one is that we want people to buy gear right the first time so they don't have to buy seven backpacks to find the one that works out for them, which I mean is how I figured out what worked for me. It was really expensive. I had all sorts of back pains and issues as I went through that learning process. And I really had wished there was like a clearinghouse where someone could have told me like, here are the things that work out really well for a lot of people. Here's what to think about. And part of the reason for that is because of our major environmental guiding principle that the less gear that people are buying, the less gear that ends up at landfills. Because I'm sure you can agree with this, the more time you spend outdoors, the more you really care about the environment and your impact on it. Absolutely. And I feel like what you're doing is you're putting your own expertise and advice into Treeline Review, but you're also working with people that are so steeped in this world of through hiking and your reviews are so trustworthy for that reason. Have you been finding that, that people are really excited about what you're creating? Yeah, definitely. And I would say on top of my own personal expertise, we have a team of 20 people and we don't just focus on through hiking. We have a huge, huge, a great team who does our winter coverage, ski, snowshoe, uh, snowboarding. Um, and one of the things that kind of levels the playing field is, so we've got experts who are writing about it, but we also make them read all of the reviews on the internet, every like outside backpacker, all of the big major outdoor publications to find out what they're recommending and then see where there's overlap. So you have these multiple data points from other publications to make sure what they're saying matches up with what we're saying, matches up with custom reviews. So it becomes this sort of triangle, which is our logo of personal, the writer's expertise, outdoor media's expertise and everyday customers' expertise all kind of like come up with the same conclusion. That's, that's how we decide what is best. Okay, so let me make sure I got this because I'm going to come back to it. So speaking, I love that, that visual of the triangle. So it's the personal, it's, it's the personal connected to what other people within the industry are saying. And then what's the third point? The third point is everyday reviewers. So we will scan, in some cases, literally thousands of customer reviews to see what are people saying over and over again is the best thing about this product? What are they saying over and over again is the worst thing about this product, the thing that fails? And um, we also scan to see what are real customer reviews and what are fake customer reviews. And you know, I think with customer reviews, there's often a lot of truth in it if, if you get the real ones because people are happy to tell you like, hey, the zipper breaks on this after six months. So I think that in addition to our own personal testing, taking a backpack out for 
500 miles or 2,000 miles on a trail really gives us an idea how something's going to hold up over the long run. Okay, so now that we have this framework in mind, I am going to go to our first storyteller this week. This is Matt Hagen, who joined us at Seattle Boldly Went. So Snorkel, I'm going to come back to this and ask you for your review about Matt's homemade kayak after listening. So I'm a runner, but uh, I have aspirations that tend toward the maritime, and I think that's genetic because I'm Scandinavian. I'm also a literature major, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the difference between uh, tragedy and comedy. The difference being that in a comedy, there's at least one person alive to give a soliloquy <laughs> to describe how everybody else died. <laughs> so the modern version of this is adventure stories, which have a parallel, which is the obituary. <laughs> It's important to know which track you're on. As I've gotten more of these gray hairs, I've begun to recognize which track I'm on. And uh, for me, it has to do with the cast of characters. Principally, it has to do with Mark Cooper. Mark is a good friend. Now, a great friend is somebody you want in your corner in the direst of circumstances, Mark is a good friend. <laughs> Just to say that he's likely to be there in the direst of circumstances, which is to say that the times in my life I have been closest to death, I have been within earshot of Mark. <laughs> so I should have been nervous when Mark showed up at my doorstep holding two kites. He said, get your boats! So. I'm a runner, I'm not a very good speaker, um, I'm a halfway decent carpenter, and I'm a shitty boat, boat builder. But I've built a few boats. <laughs> I am also uh, very easily swayed by suggestion. Now Mark was reading a book by George Dyson called Bidarka. And it's a history of the uh, Inuit craft that have been built for years, and they're great seafaring craft. And uh, George, he traveled the Inside Passage, and one of the methods he used for travel was to fly a kite on his kayak so he could sit back and enjoy the ride. And, I, and we thought this was a great idea. The evening Mark chose to show up and darken my doorstep happened to be February, in the middle of a full gale. <laughs> and the place we went was Shill Shoal Bay, half a mile down the road. As I said, I'm easily suggestible. We threw the uh, kayaks onto the uh, Honda Civic, which looks pretty comical <laughs> to start with, drove down to Shill Shoal with Mark's aid. We were able to get the boats down onto the uh, beach. And Chilchul, there's uh, maybe one, a couple miles across to Bainbridge Island, super flat. Normally, there were three-foot breakers <laughs> on the night in question. However, Mark said, hey, the wind's blowing on shore. Totally safe. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're going to blow on shore no matter what. So yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, so we'll have to paddle out a ways before we test these kayaks or these uh, kites. So we stuff the kites in our kayaks and uh, I, being the more experienced kayaker, which is to say I rolled a kayak once in calm water with somebody holding the other end of it, I help Mark into the water. I push him out and immediately he's over. Well, I drag his ass back in and I say, Mark, listen, you've got to go right into the waves because this is the bad kayak. I have the good kayak right here. This is the first one I built and it's much more stable upside down than right side up. So you have to point directly into the waves. Mark says, all right, that's great, that's great. Okay, stuffs the kite in there, pulls the skirt over. I give him a shove, and he goes, and it's just, he's launching into the air like a javelin. <laughs> Way to go. All right. <laughs> Feeling pretty, pretty sly that I've got him on his way. I get into my, my uh, boat, pull the spray skirt around, get in. I'm not quite as graceful as Mark, but I get out there. We get past the break, and then we're in the rollers, but I'm still in a 30-mile-an-hour headwind. And I'm thinking, how the hell are we going to do this? And it's getting difficult to see because, of course, we're doing this at dusk. <laughs> I look over to Mark, and Mark's waving at me. I say, hey, Mark! Hey! Oh, except that he, he's not waving. He's going over. <laughs> and I look, and I was like, oh, Mark doesn't know how to roll a kayak. Mark probably doesn't know how to get out of a kayak. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, I being the more experienced kayaker, having rolled a kayak once, decide that I'm going to save Mark. I turn my boat athwart the waves and then instantly inverted. And it turns out both of my boats are far more stable upside down than right side down. <laughs> so... I've done this before, once, in calm water in Mexico with somebody holding the other end of the boat. So I reach, and I turn, and I almost get over. And I think, okay, I'm going to try this again. I reach, and I turn, and I roll, and I get a big gulp of air so that I can gather my thoughts as I am upside down <laughs> in three-foot breakers, a chill shawl. And I think, okay, all you do is you reach out like this, and I thinking clearly. And you know, in those moments when you are closest to death, you, you find an inordinate strength, such as like if there's a child trapped under a car or someone you love in danger, you, you, you have incredible strength. I had so much strength at that moment that I was capable of pulling my right arm entirely out of the socket. This <laughs> is an unnerving feeling. And I was still upside down in a very stable boat. Thinking, so this is it. This is how you die. <laughs> so we've gone from adventure story to obituary. <laughs> I pull this spray skirt, I get out, and I'm not floating well because we have dressed not in wetsuits and kayaker gears, but we're wearing hiking boots, jeans, and heavy coats. I see Mark is maybe alive. And I think, this is promising, because I'm going to kill him. 
and I try to swim in, and it's difficult because my right arm keeps coming out of the socket, but I can, I can fake it with the left arm, and it was true. The wind was blowing onto the shore, so eventually we made it back in, and I'm a skinny guy. I don't do well in cold water, so I'm shivering madly. Mark, he's built like a walrus. He's laughing madly. <laughs> he loved this. And uh, uh, so Mark helped me put the kayaks back in the car and tie them on because I can't lift my arm. He drives me home because I drive a stick shift. We, sne <laughs> we sneak in the back door. We're trying to be real quiet. And my wife says, what are you up to? Boating. <laughs> You're taking me out to dinner. I've been waiting. Okay. So she doesn't know that I'm back in, the, in our uh, bedroom, and Mark is dressing me because I can't get my own shirt off. So I drive her to and from dinner, never letting on that my arm is coming out of the socket when I'm shifting gears. And it was three months before I told her that I nearly died that night. And if I have one piece of advice... It is, don't ever tell your wife. <laughs> Thanks. That was Matt Hagen joining us in Seattle, Washington on Duwamish land about the time he built his own kayak and tested a new kite and gave it a real test, a real test off the shores of Seattle. Okay, Snorkel, so I know reviewing kayaks maybe isn't your personal area of expertise, but maybe it is. I don't know, actually. What is your personal area of expertise? I would say through hiking, backpacking, hiking is my personal expertise. Although we have writers who have sea kayaks, the Sea of Cortez, and people who are much more into kayaking. So right now I'm kind of feeling a little bit like I wish they were doing this review instead of me, but I will try my best using the principles of Treeline Review. Well, that is the whole point. And I think it's also just for fun because we, all, <laughs> I love when Matt said his kayak is more stable upside down than right side up. <laughs> me too. We have a free reign here. So Go ahead and I want to hear how you would review this for Treeline Review. How would, you, how would you methodically go through this? So I want to say I appreciate, first and foremost, one of the, the things to love about this kayak is that, that Matt talked about being a carpenter. So I, I, I just listened to his story. I haven't actually seen an image of his boat, but I'm going to give him some style points. I assume if he's a carpenter, he has created a thing of beauty, something very stylish and cool that all the other people are gonna go out kayaking will see that and be like, yeah, I want that kayak. So his homemade kayak gets some points for that. It uh, also gets some points for being American made, handmade, definitely uh, worthwhile things. So as far as the functional stuff go, is your kayak more stable upright or upside down? That might be an important question to ask when you're deciding whether to buy a kayak by this by Matt or not. Stability of the wind also sounded like that might be an issue. A user review by Matt 
made me think that maybe that's not something that this particular kayak excels at. Spray skirt compatibility. He talked a little bit about getting out of the spray skirt in the story. So I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt that that was easy enough, at least for him, maybe not for his friend. I would say generally, before we even start diving into all of these little parts, what's the goal of, of, of your kayak? What are you trying to accomplish? And perhaps the problem is that this particular adventure wasn't suited for this particular kayak. Maybe it, this would be a fine kayak for other adventures, like upside down kayaking. <laughs> 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 I hope that people take it up. <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed this story. And I'm, I'm so, I, I really love the way that Matt told it too. Yeah, he is, uh, he is so funny. And I'm, I think that you also matched him with this review. So when people are looking at your website and looking at reviews, is there a final final number that you give them or a final, final like stamp that you would say yes or no, or how do, how do people, how would people look at your website and know quick and easy what your review is? Yeah. So at the top of all of our stories, we, in some cases, we go through hundreds of different of models trying to, to wheedle them down to maybe the best five or seven. And usually we have an overall and that's like, okay, I only got the money to buy one of these and I want one that's gonna be able to, you know, suit the mo most of my adventures and do all of those adventures pretty well. So that's usually our overall pick. And then we'll break it down a little bit more in terms of, okay, here's a pick that would be really great for going at night with my friend who has never rolled a kayak before. Uh, here would be, here's the pick for, me if I don't want to spend very much money on this, or here's the pick for me if I want to spend a lot of money on this. So usually we've got about five picks, one's an overall, and uh, the others kind of fit these other little niches that we think are pretty high on people's priority list. And then we actually put this all into a, a table. So, you know, we, I know there's some people who are more into spreadsheet, reading spreadsheets than words. So if you're the type of person who just wants to see a spreadsheet with all the specs and the yes, no's, check marks, we also have that too. We lay out which are our winners pretty clearly through that too. Nice. Okay. So now I want to go to our next storyteller. This is Joelle Desgrenia, who joined us at Can More Boldly Went with his description of how he put his life in the hands of a family. This is a skiing story, and I think to explain it well, we have to start where I'm, when I moved here to the Rockies. That was in 2016. And as a you know, keen skier from out east, what do you do first when you get to the Rockies? Well, you, you know, it's kind of like dating. So you start, you, know, you meet random people online, and you're like, hey, do you want to go skiing with me? And hopefully you can dig me out of an avalanche and something happens. And then you meet, you know, weird people, and you're like, uh, I'm not sure about that. And then you just change. It's like, you know, you date someone, you go for dinner, you're like, ah, I'm not too sure about that. No, that's next person. So you do a couple of those people, and then if you're lucky enough, you ditch those weird people, and then you end up with, like, some pretty good friends who, like, you can trust. And they're like, oh, like, that's someone who's uh, maybe got the same kind of risk tolerance as I have, and maybe we see, like, kind of, like, hard like the same way or you know we're maybe the same level or maybe like you just completely each other maybe you're the better skier and you're the better climber or the opposite 
then you have a kind of a skill set that completes itself. So, yeah, my first year here was kind of like skiing a couple, you know, kind of basic stuff, and then quickly I kind of got into a bit more the kind of steeper skiing. So, you know, the steeper it becomes, the less you want to fall, and then you add a couple cliffs and you add a couple kind of sketchy things, and you really don't want to fall. And, um, you know, after skiing with, with a really weird guy and then skiing with a couple of cool people, um, I ended up meeting Kieran, who's sitting right there. And Kieran is from Australia. And Kieran moved to Canada because he wanted to climb some ice. Like. <laughs> so what happened with Kieran is that he quickly realized that ice climbing was miserable, but approaching on skis was actually quite fun. Then he's like, well, why don't I just ski, right? So then I met Kieran through other friends, and then our first day together was on Amers. And Amers is a, a couloir up on Mount Temple. It's like a bit of a classic around here. And uh, that day, he, he, I think he side-slipped probably half the line. And then he also lost his ski and tumbled down the fan. So I was like, oh, that looks like a really good ski partner. <laughs> So, you know, we kind of started skiing together, and then th that was a pretty good uh, spring for, for conditions. So then we just started kind of skiing a, a bit kind of cooler stuff and cooler stuff, and then we ended up becoming regular partners. So then, you know, you kind of end up having in skiing, again, that kind of same idea. You know, you have your main people you go out with. You're like, um, like, what am I going to do today? I think I'm going to call this guy, you know? Or, oh, maybe today's like more of a kind of like, you know, PG kind of like 13, we're good, we can bring anyone on, right? But uh, with Kieran, we actually ended up having a pretty good spring, right? So skied a couple really interesting lines, and then we're like, you know, you build a bit of confidence. You're like, I think we're ready, you know, like 2017, like, that's a good, that's a good year. You know, let's find something that's gnarly. Like, let's find something that's difficult that we can, like, be really, really happy to go back home after. So, you know, we're like, oh, what should we ski? What should we ski? And then we, Kieran had talked about that thing, and it always kind of started the same way. You're like, oh... Let's go have a look at that. Like, like, let's not ski. Let's just like go check it out. You know, and you're like, okay, sure. You know, there's no obligations. We'll see how that goes. And I had a friend from out east that day, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna tag along with you guys. Like, we'll see how that goes. So we chose something that gets skied probably every couple of years. It's called the North Cooler in Commonwealth in Kananaskis here. So it's that big kind of phase that has like a cleavage in the very middle, and you have two. You have to cut a cornice, but you have two mandatory repels. So you have to like get the rope out and abseil two cliff bends, and you have to ski in the middle, right? So you don't really want to fall on that. So when like, th that friend tags along with us, he's like, oh, you know, let's get going. So start early, and like, the approach is like, Kieran takes a couple photos. It's, you know, it's a good day. Then we get lost on the approach of the scramble of Commonwealth, but you know, scrambling, right? And then we eventually make it to the summit, and you have a bit of a knife edge ridge. You know, a little bit exciting, but you're like, oh, where's the cool arm? You know, and you're like, oh, that looks a little bit kind of crazy. Not sure about that. Like, oh, that looks a little crazy. Not sure about that. And then you eventually get to the top of that cool arm. It's like, oh, we're at the top. Like, what do we do now? And that's where interesting things started. Um, so first, you had the big cornice, which is like an overhanging kind of piece of snow that kind of blocks the entrance, right? So what do you do? Well. You either kind of dig it a little bit, and then you kind of go around somehow, or you just cut it off. But it was pretty big, so we're like, ah, Kieran has a piece of corlet, might as well cut it off. So we cut the whole cornice off, but then once it's cut off, it just stays there. And you're like, shit. <laughs> so like the cornice is just like that big piece, like probably like a ton of snow is just like hanging on there, 
and you've cut through the whole thing, and it, it's still there. So you're like, what the hell do we do now? You're like, we're at the top of that thing. We're supposed to go down this way. It looks hella steep, but it's not too bad. How do we do? So then we just took all the shovels out, and we shoveled the corners out. That took a very long time. But then once it's shoveled out, you're like, well, you know, you just dropped it down the line. So there's like avalanches, like, we're good. Like, you know, you've pretty much cleared the whole thing. So the worst that can happen is someone falls over the cliff and then falls over the next cliff and then falls all the way down. But, you know, that's just, you just have to keep your skis down on the ground. So then we just, like, drop in slowly, you know, carefully, kind of start turning and, like, put the skis on. And the cool thing about steep skiing is that every turn, you have to be 100% there. If you're like, you know, it's not like you go to the resort, you do a run, you're like, oh, that was okay, you know. Every single turn, if you, like, screw up, you're in real, like, real trouble. So, you know, you put the skis on, and the first turn is always the worst. It's like, oh, okay, let's go. And you just, like, kind of take a good breath, and you're like, the first one's the worst. You, like, remind, like, you remind yourself, that kind of thing, and then you just do the first one. And then you're like, whew, that was pretty steep. And then you're like a couple meters down from your friends already. You're like, oh, that was one turn, okay. So you do a couple, and then there was cliff bands on that line. So what do you do? You bring Kieran along, because he's the climber, right? That's why I said, the skill sets complete each other. So you take this guy, who's founded pitons before and all that stuff, and you're like, can you build an anchor? Because you need to like, put the rope somewhere to be able to go over that first cliff. So you're like, sure. So you dig everywhere, and like the rock in the Rockies, like Justin said, is, is pretty garbage. So you dig for a while before you find something, and you're like, okay, maybe we'll make it down this time. So Kieran builds an anchor, first rappel goes, you know, everybody skis down, and then like you all do the first abseil, and then everybody's safe. No one fall, like, has fallen yet, so you're like, life is good, you know, we're good, we got this. First section is just as steep, but then you have another cliff. So then a couple turns later, you go and you start digging, and somehow that line has like the nicest patch of rock in the in Kananaskis. So you dig for an hour, we both dug for an hour, and then no one could find any crack. And you're like, well, if you want to build any kind of anchor for skiing, you need like features. You need something that you can put a little nut in or pound a piton with a hammer. Like you need some texture. And that was like the nicest piece of rock I've seen in Kananaskis. So we're like, what the hell do we do? You're like, in between, you cannot really down climb, so it's kind of overhanging. And then there's three of us there stranded in the middle of the couloir. And we'd been having a bit of a binge for steep skiing. So Kieran had watched all of Andrew McLean's videos. This guy is like an old black diamond skier who like kind of, you know, is a bit kind of crusty, you know. And he's got a bunch of those kind of instructional videos. So Kieran goes and says like, oh my God, I saw um, Andrew McLean abseil off a cliff bar in his videos. <laughs> So what that means is that you basically bury any piece of gear you have, and then um, you hope it's going to hold, and then you repel off that piece of gear. So he's like, oh, I've seen that in the cliff bar. I'm sure we have something that works. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, in the Rockies, the, 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 the snow is really dry and really like, faceted because it's not very cohesive, right? So it's those kind of maneuvers, like you do a lot on the coast and like Rogers Pass a bit more, but around here it's so cold you don't really get to do that because it's not safe enough. So then we're like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're, we're screwed. Like we, there's no way you can go down anyway. It's like, might as well try it. So um, we like, you know, open the backpacks and we look at what everybody has in the backpack and you're like, well, oh, I have a shovel here, but you know, if someone gets buried further down, you're kind of screwed. So then if Kieran's like, I have a thermos. 
single wall metal thermos, we're good. So like, you know, we build an anchor, we put the thermos as deep as we can, we like stomp it hard, we're like, oh my god, okay. And then the heaviest person goes first. So <laughs> Kieran goes first. And then I back it up with my skis. So my skis are like on an X right on top, and it's like, oh, you know, let's just wrap up. And the skis are there, and then my friend Antoine goes down, and then I'm the last guy, but my skis are there, so I'm like, I'm gonna pick up my skis, and hopefully that holds. And it turned out to be okay. Whew. But uh, that, was a, that was probably the most exciting uh, ad sale I've ever done in my life. And then, you know, like all victorious, like, oh, let's ski down, you know, like five fives and, you know, man hugs and everything. And then my friend fell at the bottom and he's like, yeah, you know, that was a pretty good day. I've only skied one couloir before. <laughs> and then Kieran told him that he's like, that's fine, you can just stop skiing right now. <laughs> Grenier's from Canmore, Alberta, which is the territory of the Blackfoot, Nakoda, Kutunaha, and Sutina tribes. Joel shared this story about finding himself in a real pinch and having to trust his life in the hands of a thermos. So, Snorkel, how <laughs> this unknown brand thermos on Treeline Review? Well, uh, I'm sure all of us can agree that don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> but I would say, you know, when, when we're doing our thermos review, a lot of the criteria we're thinking about in terms of thermoses are how, how much water or coffee does it hold? Uh, how well does it insulate that coffee and for how long? Uh, how does it leak? How easy is the SIP system to use? So certainly trusting your life to a thermos is not usually one of our criteria that we use. Although I would say uh, being a multi-purpose item, you know, that, that it could probably get some points for that. Uh, I would also say, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the quality of the metal and whether it can stand multiple people Abseiling off of it, I believe, is what Joel was doing. Is is that correct? Yeah. Uh huh. You know that really gets some points because you know that's some good construction if uh, <laughs> if multiple people's weights can be held by this thermos. I would also be curious about the actual weight of the thermos itself. You know, I, I have some follow up questions for Joel, and some of those are, <laughs> you know, how much does this thermos weigh? How how big was it? So if you could put me in touch with Joel, I, I'd really like to learn more. And, you know, the other question, too, he never answered, does he still have this thermos? And if so, is it in some shadow bat box or prized up on, on, a, on a fireplace with a plaque that says, this thermos saved my life? Good point. I think that you're really establishing your credibility here. To say, <laughs> I don't have enough information to make a, a thorough review of this. And so I like, I like where you're going to leave this. <laughs> I'll, I'll follow up once we hear from Joel. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know, Snorkel, how do people find your reviews on Treeline? We are at treelinereview.com and you can also find us on Facebook at Treeline Review. That's all one word, lowercase, or at Treeline Review on Instagram, all one word, lowercase. 
And how often are you putting new reviews out? We, at minimum, put a new review up each week. Uh, some weeks we'll do two. Some weeks we'll even do three if it's busy through hiker season, for example, when a lot of people are looking for a lot of information on gear. Um, but we cover all seasons of gear, winter, we do ski stuff, summer, we have a lot of paddle, rafting, sup coverage, and of course we have through hiking coverage, hiking coverage, um, some climbing coverage as well. So if you're looking for outdoor gear, there, there's a good chance. We also do quite a bit of bike. We have a lot of bike tour riders who are super enthusiastic about that. So all seasons, all outdoors. Perfect. And uh, you know, I I want to just ask you one more thing about tree liner review because I realize I didn't ask you earlier, but it's a really important part of how you came to be, which is the reason that you created it in the first place. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm sorry I didn't talk about this earlier, but you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to start Treeline Review is that I didn't feel like there was a very inclusive space talking about gear that, um, first of all, had writers from diverse backgrounds, people in the photos who are actual athletes from diverse backgrounds, and that especially like there weren't a lot of gear reviews that were written for everyone that were written by women. Um, so we really wanted to, to change that conversation, take these voices that haven't traditionally been the ones who are seen in gear reviews and show like, hey, now there's actually a lot of badass people who are doing the same exact things. And to really give a leg up to a lot of early career writers who are really active in the outdoors, um, but might not be published in the big major uh, outdoor media yet. Yeah, it's perfect. And it's right in line with the reason, the, the essence of why Boldly Went exists, which is to say that we understand people of all kinds are out exploring the world in so many ways and everyone really deserves to have their voice heard and here at Boldly Went have their adventure story shared. And so this week we've shared some pretty non-traditional adventure stories <laughs> by some pretty impressive athletes, by the way. And we are so lucky to be able to share that with you, Snorkel. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on, Angel. So before we leave, I do want to tell you about something I'm really excited about. I've been, I've been leading up to it in our recent podcast, and that is that we are getting ready to publish our season five journal. And this is the first ever journal that we're going to be publishing. This is the first time I'm letting the cat out of the bag in this episode. We are going to be featuring some of your fan favorite stories from this season in the journal, along with some amazing art from talented professional artists, amateur artists, and photographers. And it's also going to be all intertwined with a journal for you to create your own adventure story and hopefully share it with us. So stay tuned. Make sure that you get on our mailing list at boldlywentadventures.com so that you can find out as soon as the journal goes live. You can also make sure that you're getting our updates by following at boldlywentadventures on Instagram. Go there now. So that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for sharing the adventure with us and other thanks for this podcast are attributed to all of our Patreon supporters. It's because of listeners like you who support us on Patreon that we can continue to produce this podcast. 
The Musicians, Merricks, Michaela Elias, our audio editor and production assistant. Our Seattle supporters, Northwest Peaks Brewery, Washington Trails Association, our Canmore supporters, Canmore Brewing Company, Seattle, Run Up Hill, which, by the way, Joelle, yes, the Joelle who you heard in this episode is a part owner of that Ski Up Hill, Run Up Hill. Also to Kayaks, Thermoses, Puget Sound, Canadian Rocky, Ice Climbing, Adventure Buddies, of course, to our co-host, Liz Thomas, a.k.a. Snorkel. Liz, anything special or silly that you're thankful for today? Uh, I would say, given the, the current everything that's going on with coronavirus, I have become especially thankful for toilet paper. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Out there has their stash of toilet paper. <laughs> but, I mean, leaves still work, so... <laughs> So find some of those, you buddies, and I hope that you're all thriving. I hope that you got to check out our Coronavirus for Dirtbags book, too. It's more of a more of a quick guide and humorous take on what is going on with coronavirus from the dirtbag perspective. You can get it on our website. Finally, I'm thankful for excellent gear reviews. If you're still listening, thanks. This podcast and our blog content will always be free thanks to listeners like you who support us on Patreon. Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash boldlywent. As I said, we at Boldly Went believe that the outdoors is for everyone, weekend warriors and pro athletes, and that people of all kinds need equal access to share their inspiring, intriguing, and impactful adventure stories. That's why we create our live shows where we invite everyone, no matter who they are, to come and share their adventure story with us. We record the stories and we share them here in this podcast. And next season, we will be doing something really different. So stay tuned and you can stay tuned by making sure you're on our mailing list. I'm Angel Mathis, proudly bringing you this podcast from all over the world. Ignite your adventure! <laughs> <laughs>